Bow, 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 bow. Mm. <laughs> oh, is, that, is, that, is that are we keeping is, are we keeping that is that a, is it super i mean when this episode comes out bow, 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 bow. well it's the episode technically is going to come out on valentine's day so oh right hello everybody happy love love is love is love is love <laughs> live what? laugh love mm. Mm. You know, everybody, do you know who I just saw recently? Who's a wonderful human being? Liz Love? Liz Love. Shout it's out Liz Love. Liz Love. National Liz Love Day. Wow. National Liz Love Day. I love her so much. Um, well, hello, everybody. You know, we're back. We're back. Um, mm-hmm. let's just Let's just catch up. You know, what has everybody been doing for the past weeks or so um, in the still official Black History Month? Right. Let's not forget that. Still official. <laughs> well, Lauren, you first. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's just, you know, kind of been recovering from January and everything that that was and then starting off this new week. You know, I just went to a candle pouring class that was by a black owned um, founder. Super cute, super cute. Go out and support local black businesses this month because um, we need we need that. Right. Right. Just put it in the community, put it in the community. Um, but no, just trying to find a lot of time to just be low vibrational, you know, amongst all the craziness that's going on and trying to protect my peace, you know, yeah. As Michael would say, you just got to mouth breathe sometimes. Sometimes, y'all. What? You just got to mouth breathe. Not sure what that means. You know, when life gets you down, and maybe you've had a couple libations, and sometimes you just need to sit there and just go, That's so ugly. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, sometimes you just got to sit there and go. <laughs> no. Um, okay. Look, and when I tell you Michael really do that, like, in real life, like, Michael, we were at GMEA. Michael was sitting across from me, complete mouth wide open, just breathing in and out. Couldn't do nothing else. Like, this is what I look like. Mm. I can't share the whole thing. <laughs> why this horse I just look like the horse and just look yes yes but you know what? sometimes that's needed sometimes you just gotta like take a moment and just realize where you are yeah realize where you are um, and just breathe it in and out and, and get protect your peace get it back centered and move on and move on right. And I feel like this year has a lot in it. Like, I feel like there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens this year. And so I'm kind of like just trying to take in as much peace time and downtime as possible. Because there's just something about this energy that I'm feeling that in my 2024 has something in it. Not sure what it is yet. We'll see. We'll see. But, you know, so see. take the time. If you have time right now to chillax. And just calm things down. Take the time. There's a reason why you have this moment to, to, to remain calm, you know? So, is it for me? Uh, there has, I literally just got off a flight last night. 
and now we're here. Um, from the Texas Music Educator Conference in San Antonio, which if you've never been to San Antonio, you have to go. It is beautiful. Um, it is like a mixture between somewhere in Spain, Venice, with the river walk that goes in between. Um, me and my friend, we just kind of walked on the river walk and it was just so gorgeous. The temperature was amazing. Um, there were so many people uh, um, there. So shout out to TMEA. Y'all really got it going on out there. Um, and it's really big. It's like really big. And also I heard some wonderful concerts um, and really good music education is happening. Really, really good. That's cute. And you know what? We flew first class. Oh, class. You know, it was cute. However, I didn't get a meal, and I'm kind of upset about what? that. What? I didn't get no meal. I didn't get How long meal. was the flight? Did you, did you fall asleep? Like two hours and 15 minutes. Oh. Like, that's fine. No, that was a long time, and I didn't eat all day. So I was looking forward to a meal. Yeah, I don't know if it's like three hours or what the what the the minimum is for them to actually serve food. But my thing is, it's like the flight was for, was like six o'clock. That's dinner time, baby. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Y'all knew y'all could, and they gave us these little old snacks. You know, uh, were it good snacks? Uh, yeah, there were like some baked chips and. Um, very healthy, which the kind of stuff you would get at Trader Joe's or yeah. Whole Foods, you know. Not Trader Joe's. Yeah, so like there was this like shortbread cookie, dark chocolate shortbread cookie or something like that. Oh, that sounds good. And it was cute. Obviously, it would have come from a place like Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, you know, some upscale place like that. And I was just like... Girl, give me my Biscoff cookies. I would go back in the main to get my Biscoff cookies. Not, I don't even know if they give Biscoff anymore because I was asleep. If you if you're on Delta, they yeah they still give off give a little like Biscoff. On Delta, here comes the Delta sales uh, rep. Relative and, and am if you play, fight <laughs> me. Say, I'm usually a Southwest girly, but this time I, I did fly Delta, and I. Mm, Choose my words. Yeah, but I watch it. <laughs> we're sponsored. No, I'm joking. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, if we're sponsored. Uh, if we sponsor, get us a corporate card. Corporate. Buy anywhere with a corporate card. Um, I I mean, for the price. I will say I had good leg room. I had good leg room. But you were in first class. Of course you had good leg room. The second flight, I was not in first class. And you still had leg room? I had pretty nice. And also, leg room is not that important to me. It's more about the width room, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Did you have to pay for a bath on the way back? Yes. Which they went up. So I haven't, I haven't flown Delta in probably four or five years. So there it is. Um when I flew Delta four or five years ago, $25 per bag. That was $30 per bag. Uh, Inflation. You got all the money in the world. You got all these people on American Express. They paying for your sky priority. You really, that broke for $5 extras for, per bag. Uh-uh. I mean, See, that's I why know. I said with my Southwest, two free, two free check bags. 
and two free carry on. Okay, but go look at them them Southwest prices right now, and you come back to me. No, what I'm waiting for is another Southwest oopsie, so I can get all my flights on on, on real retail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, you know, yeah, I don't be flying as much as I used to. There was that one year I was, uh, I think it was like last year, uh, undergrad before COVID shut everything down. I was on a flight every weekend, flying here, flying there, everywhere. It's tiring. Like I, sometimes I want to go back and like read, like remember all the flights I took for undergrad auditions for masters. Like every single weekend I was on a flight and some weekends were double flights. Like I would fly somewhere, do the audition that morning, the next morning, and then like fly later that evening to have an audition the next day. Like I did that. I'm like, how much money did I between like flights, Airbnbs, or hotels? I think they were mostly Airbnbs though. Um, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I'm, 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 but I love catching a flight. But you know, um, one thing about Texas Music Educator or any MEA conference that I think puts into perspective is our view on what music is. That's the whole point of a music educating conference or any music conference is to kind of have a um, kind of a town hall meeting to see, okay, what are we doing right now? You know, what what are the, what are the trends? Um, and one one school that I saw, <laughs> they did. Um, their last piece was kind of a Whitney Houston ode to Whitney Houston. Uh, I want to dance with somebody. It was the uh, Henry Middle School band under Robert Herring's, um, and they had they were dancing. They had their little pom poms. Like it was fun. It was cute. And I just want to take time to just say like sometimes what what we have to do as musicians is not take ourselves so seriously. You know, like enjoy. We got into this because we enjoy this. Always keep the joy in what we're doing. That mm-hmm. I think if that's the most important thing. Yeah, we can get into the weeds, and especially during the season where a lot of music educators are in the festival season. I look, I've been there as a student, as a teacher, at all, and, and you know, we get real kind of crucial to our students during this time period. And I would just would like to just have you think about the joy, why you maybe joined music, why your students join music. I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. Yes. Someone at a conference recently, I think it was at Sphinx, was like, center your work and joy. And I was like, oh, that's a very sweet way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's, I don't know. It's, I think I agree with you, especially whenever it comes to conferences and evaluations and competitions it everyone like forgets a little bit of why they started in the first place and like the whole thing is you know the band directors always say like you want you're in band because you wanted to like you know place sound good it's more fun when you sound good all these things yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's only because we have structured music and music education to be within a system of like you if you don't sound good if you don't perform a certain way you're not gonna have fun that's like the real reason behind it. It's the structures of it that is changeable, that we can change, but we're not doing that. Can you imagine if music education was just like exploration, discovery, like 
finding a new way of creativity and like expressing your creativity versus like, oh, you're doing competitions and that's the real reason why we're doing this. I'm going to get a little shady real quick. So you mean what a lot of music ed people think it is and say it is theoretically mm. and write research on, but never actually apply it. Exactly. Is that what, is that what you're saying? Oh, some, some might say that is an interpretation. <laughs> yes. Um, because uh, and here's also another, okay. So a couple of things. Hi, everybody. Um, my week was good. I spent it in Chattanooga. Um, doing young people's concerts. So that was different because I actually stayed up there. I usually drive back and forth because, you know, I got a dog. Um, and uh, so, but anyways, um, oh, and then I had a great talk with a mentor yesterday that really put some things in perspective and challenged me on some stuff. Um, but also to Anthony's thing, take the craft seriously and don't take yourself seriously like always honor the craft but like you are just a person that just happens like every time my kids are like how we're doing how's trumpet going i'm like you know i'm blowing this plumbing and i get paid for it so life is good at the end of the day i blow in plumbing make noise and i get paid for it like <clears throat> life has to be pretty okay if that's happening yep. um but to what lauren was saying and what we're trying to we're kind of going down is like I feel like a lot of people have these very theoretical ideas of what band is and like, oh, it's so creative. Everybody's so creative and it's going to be exploratory. But then at the end of the day, when it comes to the fall, we got to get ones at marching band. When it comes to spring, we have to get ones at LGPE. Okay, that's cool. How about we just sound better? And again, I'm guilty of it too with my kids when we get close to District Honor Band, but I'm only guilty of it when my kids say, I want to make District Honor Band. Cool. You say you want to make District Honor Man. I can tell you how to get there. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you say, I just want to get better at a trumpet, if you get 1% better than the lesson, I'm like, that was amazing. You are doing a great job. But it's like, whatever the student tells me they want to do is how I do lessons nowadays. But another thing that kind of grinded my gears, me and one of my friends were talking about this. District Honor Man list and all state list when they come out. I really wish that private teachers were privy to this knowledge and were able to like tell our kids sometimes because yes, the band director does do a good amount of work for the private teachers. But also if you're in a big program, likely the band director has not heard their etudes before or has not coached them on certain audition prep stuff. So private teachers are a vital part of band. And I feel like sometimes in at least our state, Georgia, mm. my, my state, we aren't viewed sometimes uh, not as equalies, but as as important in terms of those results. It's always like the band. And I'm like, the band is cool. But if someone's been taking private lessons from sixth grade, it's not just the band program. Like if they study with that one teacher, that person has been instrumental in their progress since sixth grade. So also just putting that out there, even if you're a private teacher, you are very important. Band directors, support your private teachers and push your kids to do private lessons because they could unlock more things that's not making district honor band. Yeah. So. Uh, so. Um, I think that uh, private, teacher, private teachers are such a vital part of, mm. uh, of mus being a musician in general because uh, most time private teachers are going to tap into that student way more 
um, sometimes in the band director, because the band director, you see hundreds of students. And so you cannot always get to that specific student, um, especially if they are really serious about being, um, you know, continuing their instrument to, you know, a competitive style. Like it takes someone who will have that hour lesson with them each week. So you start to learn things of like that. So I think, you know, we need to make sure that our private teachers feel value in our system. When I was uh, also at TMEA, um, like for all of the groups basically that performs, they have the private teachers that are listed um, there. And I think that is really, really good to have, to just say, look, we have teachers who invest in our students that are here. And these students go on to do bigger and better things. Um, so we got to put some respect on private teachers uh, on their names, for real, for real. No, absolutely. And then another I know it goes both ways. Private teachers, stop shitting on man directors. Like they're doing the best that they can. Right. Like they have a program to run. Okay. See, I just got triggered. Uh, <laughs> another thing, private teachers, I, already, I just pumped you up. So what I'm about to say next is some real, real tease. What I need private teachers to stop doing is believing that they are the band director. Mm. I need you to stop um, having so much ownership over a whole program, baby. You have students. You have specific instrument students. I know a private teacher. I'm not going to say no names. Oh, hold on now. I was like, watch it. <laughs> Don't have to bleep something out. <laughs> I, know, I know a private teacher who they are very embedded within a system. And this person has ro rose to some type of fame. And every time I hear about this person or see this person, it is as if they know everything. They are, they are basically the band director. Like, they, they're just like, I don't know how this person is here. I don't know why that thing is happening this way. I don't know why this is doing this. You do one thing. You teach the instrument privately. Ooh. You Ooh. are the band director. I don't I actually understand how you know a lot of what's going on because you're, you're not. You're not. But you have a big opinion on what's happening in bands. I am very curious now. I mean, it's your colleague. That's all I'm gonna say. Okay, it's not me. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, Anthony be throwing shade now. But honestly, though, like Anthony says that, but I also say like, okay, when you ask your kids what they do in band, mm -hmm. ask it to 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 serve your curriculum. Not to be like, oh, y'all should be really doing this in band. I don't know why you're not doing this in band. I want you to be a CEO of a band program. Order buses, pick out music. I want you to. I, I really want you to. I, and that's the thing. It's like what people don't understand is being a director of something, and this goes if you're a director of orchestra, if you're a director of choir, if you're a director of bands, if you're a director of uh, organization like an opera company or, or a symphony orchestra, 
There is so much logistical knowledge that goes behind that. Majority of the time, directors spend this much time doing music and this much time doing all the, the fire putting out stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I mean, um, these people who are, who are helping to realize that, that there's way more, it's like an iceberg. You see the tip, but there's a whole bunch of stuff below the surface. Yeah. Well, and you talk about an iceberg. Well, before I, I'm throwing to Lauren real quick, we talk about an iceberg that gets into another conversation. But Lauren is works at the Community Engagement Office at Seattle Symphony, and she probably has a lot more logistical stuff, and she probably doesn't get to focus and enjoy the program until the program is there in her face, aka or just right after, because there you're still trying to put out fires. So, like, it, this is goes at every level from community engagement programs that work under and with the Seattle Symphony to like band directors, which is what a lot of people in school typically do. Lauren, did you want to say anything about that? No, I mean, I usually get to enjoy the programs in post, right? Because, like, actually, during, like, you, you do all the logistics of putting on the show, of hiring the people, or working with the students, all these things. And then it's like, oh, yeah. You, like during it, you're handling all the things that you didn't maybe you didn't think about or things that popped up randomly and all the things. So then afterwards, you're like, did anyone actually see the show? It's like, no. OK, right. Well, I, guess, I guess it went good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did they, did, were there smiles? OK, OK, exactly. Yeah, I think it's a very it's a balance, right, as is everything um, where for programs, it's for your admin or your directors of bands or your your you know private instructors are all working together in favor of the development and growth of the students, period. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their own lanes of where they should interfere. And then you have areas where you you're like refer to whoever the Talked a lot about the blurred line of especially when it gets to collegiate areas and professors like to give their opinions on other professors and i'm just, i'm gonna say it right now to y'all it's very unprofessional of you to be talking to your students about other like other people who are your colleagues and trying to be like oh i don't like them like don't listen to them are you crazy mm -hmm. like don't that should never ever come out of your mouth that you are discrediting another professor in front of your students if it is a no if there is a professor there who is known who within their own their faculty that most people are don't enjoy being around that person they don't think they should be there that's fine talk to your other collegial your colleagues about that don't bring your students into it because you may think oh i'm helping them by giving them my opinion so they know no what you're doing is involving them later on when there's they get a call saying um, did your professor say this about professor so and so because now there's a title XYZ123 going on and now you're involved with it because we heard that you know about it. Right? Correct. Or yeah. with Lauren, don't talk about other students to your students. No. If you have you might have favorites in the studio, that's cool and all. Try not to because they're all there studying with you. But like, don't be like, well, you know, I wish this person would study, would practice as much as you, or like, I don't know what's really going on with this person and stuff. That is then get, what we're trying to do: break down pedestals. You've just added pedestals 
into student life and they're like, oh, well, I'm better than this person because Professor Brown talks about these other people or Professor so-and-so talks about these other people to me. No, don't do that. Mm -hmm. All students are students. They're right. all learning. And some can give as much as they can give. Right. And you know what I, me as a student is going to do immediately when you say, oh, yeah, I wish this person did this like you. I'm going to go straight to that person and said, um, professor or doctor so-and-so said you suck. Ooh. So now we got drama. Now we got, <laughs> now we got beef. Now what? Because why would you just, just stop? Your job is to teach and, and sometimes do research, work with other colleagues, all these things. But in no way, if you're ever referring to a student or a colleague to a student directly, you are saying in the sense of, oh, well, I know these things objectively about this person. Now, when you get to certain levels where like master's doctoral and it, especially if you are a professor who sees your like doctoral students as collegial, which is normal because a lot of like doctoral students are like, you know, usually older, maybe themselves have like their own families and kids. That's like a, it is a case by case basis with if you're like, oh, maybe you shouldn't ask them to be on your dissertation committee because you know, I've known them to be on other people's committees and they can, you know, be a little bit, that's different. That's not shit talking. That's just being like, based on, I, I want you to be successful based on things I've seen with this person. This is just what my recommendation is. But you, that doesn't mean, oh, he's lazy. Don't ever ask him to do anything. That's the difference between how, like how you say it. You can just say, actually, I, I've noticed that he's a little bit of slow with communication on these types of things. So maybe let's find someone else who may be better for you in this situation. That is how you do that. Correct. Um, but I said I was going to give a good, great pivot and transition with an iceberg. So picture an iceberg across the ocean. You see the tip? The tip is diversity of composers. Mm. Underneath is all the work that goes into it. All the people that you chose to play or chose not to play. The people you did put on a program, didn't put on a program. The people you empower behind closed doors and empower in public. The tip of the iceberg is what goes on a couple of concerts and what gets programmed at that given time. Hmm. You can, I can add, like, I know I just run a little old baby trumpet ensemble. And it is hard enough picking what to play. Because you got like, what can my students sound good on? Sound good. Not 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 like, okay, sound good on. What can I teach them without pulling out my hair? Which I have none. So I had to really think about that one. Ball. And then like, what is the audience going to enjoy? And what are we performing this for? What did you, you say about, about greased? Anyways, um, and Anthony has programming number constantly. <laughs> I haven't heard that in so long. We used to say that right? all the time. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Anyways, and Anthony has programmed a number of concerts over across a couple of years for both like picking out the rep he does in college and then what he was teaching at uh, uh, the school he was at. So, Anthony, give us a little bit about this whole diversity thing and why we can view it maybe as an iceberg and maybe as not. Well, for me, like... I think diversity of programming, it is a personal situation. So for me personally, every program that I do will represent who I am as a person. 
So mm -hmm. that usually means there is going to be some person of color on a program majority of the time. Because guess what? Newsflash, I am Black. Mm -hmm. I also am largely a person of color as well. So therefore, on all of my programs, that is what is going to be because that is who I am. That is how I feel as though I can be seen through my my music, my music, as well as the people that are in my ensemble. Mm -hmm. Now, some people have a um, a philosophy of a long term programming. So, say there's five concerts between August and uh, May. So it's you got to look at it at like a longevity standpoint. Like, okay, we have the diversity; it's it's all mingled through, and there might be a concert where it's all, unfortunately, which not for me now, are all dead white men. That ain't that ain't me. Not me though. <laughs> not me. So, but but still, like, you have to sometimes remember that once you put a snapshot on something people will only take what they see. Like say you you take a picture of your program and you put it on Facebook and somebody calls you out because you got uh, a whole program of dead white men. Okay, that's what they see. They don't see that for the past three concerts, you've uh, had um, Marie Douglas on there. You've had Kataj, you've had Kate Nishimura, you've had all of these people on there. They don't see that. But they will only see that you had Wagner, you had Beethoven, you had Mozart on just this one program. So you have to be very careful with that. However, what I will not stand for is people that are, uh, there's two types of people. There are your people who are like, I'm only going to program music that is good. You have your other people who are like, I think diversity happens so fast within the, in the medium that some bad music is being played. You just made my eye twitch. Those are two dangerous people to me. One is I only play good music. Uh, we've mm -hmm. talked about that on this podcast before because to me that it just sounds, it, let me say this, to me that just sounds racist. When I hear people say that, I'm like, tell me you're racist without telling me you're racist. Because I only play good music. Okay. So all of your music represents one type of people. Mm. Like, no, well, it also, that, tell me you're racist without telling me you're racist. And also, tell me that you don't think for yourself. Because mm. this is all the music you learned about when you went to college. When, you know, they wrote on stone tablets and, you know, there was only one conductor releasing recordings that we all still do um, the same take on because we each of us don't have a brain. We just share one brain cell between all people. Sorry. I'm sorry. That was rude. I apologize for the last statement I made. Anyways, you're just doing what you've been taught and told and what you've seen done at successful band programs I only play good music I only play good music but then it's like you you also have those people who will say that but then won't even do the work to expand their palettes at all it's like oh I know Hindemith is good 
So I'm always playing him in. Oh, I know this is good. When I'm, I mean, I'm sure it is good to you and from and your personal background. Let let's just talk about your personal background. Me growing up in my household, this very caucasity music that people love. First with any flat. Uh, any of the folk song legend pieces of England and early American music. Let me just tell you, in my household, that shit would be laughed at. As it was when we when we performed it in, in school. My parents, my friends, my family, what is, what is this? What is it? What, what type of music is this? So personal background. And if I if I, this is just saying and very generically, that to me holds no merit. Now, music that I grew up with. Music that is like Earth, Wind, and Fire, Stevie Wonder, all of this, that is music of marriage. Mm. 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 Uh, yeah. Jones, music of marriage. They be playing too. And it's funny because I was I was actually having a conversation with Reed Douglas uh, a couple of nights ago about how a lot of the, the styles that we played, Black artists in Earth, Wind, and Fire, in um, um, Stevie Wonder's music, if you were to put those uh, techniques into your classical idioms, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. What What is this? But okay. music has no merit. So I need us to define merit. I need us to define what all these extra terms are to try to other other types of music. I'm going to just put this out there before I think because Lauren, I, it looks like she got something to say. I was asked once upon a time to play the Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm. September. Baby, that shit is hard. Like, hard. Like, I, and it didn't come out like it was supposed to. I tried my best. And I remember that when the person asked me, I said, there is other people at this school that can play it way better than me because this ain't me. I'm not no, I can't do that. I don't like playing fast notes and moving fast. I am a big person. I like moving slow. I like slow and lyrical. Now, if you get put me on a ballad every day, fast notes. So anyways, Lauren. The statement Anthony made of the perspective of I only play good music is the lamest excuse for your own lack of personal interpretation of what music really can be and mm -hmm. what art can be just in general. I lose respect, I truly do, for anyone who walks up to me and genuinely says, I only play good music. Mm -hmm. Because as Anthony, Anthony just laid it out to us, in my household, James Brown was on. Mm. The Supremes were on. That's I, gospel music was around me. Mm. So I grew up with like, this is good. This is what I know. This is my background. These things make sense to me. Therefore, they're lovely. Mm. But you know, also 
what happened as I went through school. I learned other types of music. Mm. I learned African drumming. I learned classical music and other musicians within classical music. And I was like, you know what? I can understand this as well. And I'm going to also expand what I enjoy, my, the music that I enjoy, right? What annoys me is how these musicians and so-called educators they say, oh, the box, the Mozarts, the Beethovens, the, the Copelands, the Husas, the whoever you want to add to that list. This is good music. And then they, in the same breath, say that whenever you bring diversity into it, the quality goes down. There have been, if you jump on, go to Music Theory Twitter, um, well, there's an amazing book, Black Sound, uh, that's out. And it's, I, I, I'm gonna remember his name in a second, but amazing uh, music uh, like theorist um, talking about how what is considered good classical, good music in general is based on principles that are in, from the white centralized and dominated perspective of music. So obviously a system that is centered in whiteness and Europe, can I add Europeanism within that, of course it's gonna say all the white European music is good. That's literally what the system was built for. But you go to other countries and ask them, they, they put on their music, you get some bamba. You know what I mean? You get their traditional music that they're like, this is our music, this is from our people, our land. And they're like, oh, this is this is good to me. This is good music. I like this. This is good. But then you maybe show them something else. And maybe some people are like, oh, I'm not interested in Beethoven. They're like, oh, that's, you know what I mean? And they're like, oh, I don't really want to listen to that. I want to listen to this music. It's such it's such a privileged mindset. And it, it I it's like I want to get angry about it, but I can't even get angry about it anymore because you have given up on the, any more development for yourself and for your students if you're just like, I only play good music. Well, that's sad. I'm sad for you. I'm sad for any student who comes through your doors, who sits in the chairs in front of you. I am sad for them because you are doing them a disservice. You barely can call yourself an educator. Not sure what you can call yourself, but it's, it, it's, we need less of that. And soon, soon, a lot of these people are gonna be out of the field. So if you are a young educator and this is resonating with you and you're like, you know what? Okay, get ready because systems can change slowly but surely, right? We gotta put in some work to make it happen, but we can change that. Cause I'm sick of it. I'm sick of having these conversations. Like stop, stop it. Stop. Let's talk right. about something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick, Lauren, are you are you talking about Matthew D. Morrison? Yes, Matt, Matthew D. Morrison. Yes, Black Sound. Making race and popular music in the United States. Ah. If you, it is only like twenty five bucks. I would recommend buying it if it's exactly what Lauren says it is. Um, but like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Anthony. But also, like, you could use people discredit. Other types of music, non-Western music. That term, I just hate it. I don't know why I don't like it. Like when I have like class, this is what we consider non-Western music. 
Professor Brown, what does that mean? Everything that's not Europe and America. Like, I'm just like, I, I, I hate having to say it, but like, hey, your kids are struggling feeling the groove in the march. Have you ever got them to listen to a samba and move to it? Or and Lawrence brought up African drumming. Have you ever got them to just listen to African drumming and walk around the room to see if they can feel the groove? We, I think Baroque has a great groove and function to it. And improvisation, a.k.a. ornamentation, I think it's all like I view Baroque as like the classical jazz. And I might be just crazy thinking that. Because like I view it deeper than the music, I go into the groove and the ornamentation of it. But if you can't feel a groove on jazz, you will never find the groove in Baroque music. Because you're not looking deep enough into it. Like there's all these other musics, we call it other music, all this music of the world, music that surrounds us, popular culture, that informs some of the some of our friend composers, Marie Douglas, Kevin Day, Katash Copley, like Kane Shimura, like all this music can help us do all the other things that you struggle with in your band program, but by, by you can't play a Carl King march because they can't feel the groove. Well, have they witnessed any of this other music? In our only music class, typically in high school, besides band and orchestra, or choir and orchestra. Like, discuss more things than just band sometimes. We have five days a week, typically. And if you're on AB block, then you got to really think about it. Yeah, I think one with this about our music choices, the the sentiment of doing diverse music or diversity is happening too fast. What are you saying by that? Mm. Oh, it just came, it was a fad. It, it just came by so quickly. And so we'll see what it's like in however many years. Guess what? Last time I checked, Black people are not leaving. Asian people aren't leaving. Uh, uh, Hispanic people aren't leaving. All these people, that music has already been written forever and ever, but you just decided you wasn't going to play it because it didn't look like a dead white man. Guess what? It's not leaving. Diversity is not leaving. What you, what you find fast, to me, is very slow. There is the positionality of that. Because to me, I'm like, why the hell did it take until 2016 when things really started getting shook around about race politics within the U.S. structure for music to be refound? Like, oh, my gosh, there's Florence Price. There's William Dawson. There's all these people. What? This music existed for over 100 years. And now you're like, oh, it's too fast. That is very, very heinous to me. This this is the perfect wrap of Michael's, um, the imagery of an iceberg that we always see is about perspective. And this is exactly what this conversation has turned into is like, is, is perspective. And just like an iceberg, you see the tip, it looks so small, then you look underneath it and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much here. I had no idea. Diversity 
can look very different to everyone, right? It can, that is just truth, right? Everyone's per- because everyone's perspective of what they see is different. My perspective, Michael's, Anthony's, yours, like our perspectives can be very different. The issue is when you only st- think from your perspective. Mm. That's the issue is when you close up to anyone else's because to really understand other people and to connect with people, you have to think about their perspectives. If you're only connecting with people with from your own perspective, then of course you're going to be hearing, seeing the same things. And then sometimes there, there's reasons for that. There's a good thing for that. That's not a bad thing. The issue is when you only think, see, and seek perspectives that exactly match yours. Even if it's a perspective you don't agree with, you have to know what other people are thinking out there to argue against, to, to fight against it, right? How can you fight someone you don't even know what they're fighting for? How do you how do you combat them if you don't understand the reasoning as to why they're fighting for this specific thing? So that's the biggest thing for me is with this idea of good music, people stop thinking about other people's perspectives. Well, I grew up with this, so this is what I know. That's fine. Let's maybe expand that a little bit more. So maybe you know other styles of music. You get more familiar with it. Therefore, later on, when you hear another piece that has similar characteristics, you're like, oh, actually, this one is more up my alley. I like this one. You know what I'm that's what it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to immediately like different things. No, some I don't think I when I first tried kimchi or sushi, I was like, this is very odd. I don't like this. And now Anytime I see sushi, I want it. Anytime I see kimchi, I want it. Because I had to build up to it. It wasn't an immediate thing. And I don't think, sometimes it is. Sometimes you have something for the first time, you're like, where has this been all my life? This is exactly what I've wanted. Other times you need a few different, maybe it's the, you need to experience it with a certain person. You need a sauce that goes with it. You need it in tandem with something else. And people give up too quickly. You give up too quickly. Keep going. Just try it. And then if you find out, actually, I really just don't like sushi. That's okay. But don't shit on other people who like sushi. <laughs> I can respect a person because you've tried it. You can actually say, I have done this. And I've realized that it just doesn't fit me. And it wasn't just a one time. And let's talk about when you try something, but you already have your mind made up. You don't like it. Notions, preconceived notions. You are going to then just continue to tell yourself you don't like it. You didn't even try. I mean, you maybe put it in your mouth to eat it, but you already told yourself you don't like it. Same thing with music. You already said, oh, I'm not going to like this piece because it is this and this and this. Then you actually go through the uh, three months to maybe get the piece done together. And then at the end, oh, my kids didn't like it. I I didn't like it, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? That's because they, they feed off of you. They knew you didn't like that piece. So, of course, they didn't like it. You didn't like teaching it because you didn't actually give it your full value time to actually understand it. So now you feel as though you have all of this ample amount uh, of evidence to prove that you don't like it. But you didn't you didn't actually try. You did something that is very superficial. You was like, oh, well, look, I, I, I did it. That doesn't mean anything to me, means nothing. And and before we go, I wanted to just bring something home about marriage. Let's take the Grammys, okay? Let's take the Grammys. Let's take, uh, was it Song of the Year? Or 
album album of the year uh, or whatever. Um, so one of them, I forget which one, but Taylor Swift won. But obviously the song that a lot of people knew more was Snooze by SZA. And a lot of people, that's, that was the, the song, you know, that was like the song that people really knew. Now to a Taylor Swift, Oh Lord, Taylor Swift fan. That song holds merit to someone else that is not a Taylor Swift fan. It holds no merit whatsoever. I love SZA. I love Snooze. That song to me would have definitely been the the song of the year. It was I- TikTok to to YouTube to ever to Apple anywhere. Yeah, let's because I I know Taylor Swift won album of the year, and I know a lot of people thought that um, uh, SOS, which is SZA's full album, album. they were were thinking they um, they wanted they were thinking it was actually going to be that. I think for song of the year, I want to say was it was it actually like snooze or best R? She got best R R R R song of the year. Oh no, it was Billy. Billie Eilish, which honestly, that was a great song. I kind of love Billie. Um, yeah. So it was it, album it, of the year. It was album of the year. Album yeah. of the year of like, okay, Taylor Scissors, which one is more popular? But depending, depending on which aisle you're on, you would see one album or the other having more merit. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. There isn't a, a rubric. And some people might actually say there is a rubric. But as Lauren said something earlier, how the system was based off of European uh, attributes. So which one of those sound more European? And the thing about it, the truth is 1000%, because we definitely just talked about that. And the systems that are created if we're going to see actual change, it's going to take time. But at the same time, we can, while at the same time, we can say perspectives. Yes, people are like, Taylor Swift deserved that for X, Y, Z, and Z, and Z. Maybe. But also we can say that and also criticize systems that have for a very long time historically left out people of color, women, especially Black women, and shown as we, Beyonce, that was a whole, that was a huge thing that happened with Jay-Z bringing that up. So both things can happen. And I think award ceremonies in general are uh, so many opinions because yay to the people like Imani and all, you know, all these amazing Julia Bullock and all these fabulous people who are getting their, their fun, getting their flowers as they deserve 1000%. And we can congratulate them and still critique the system. I think that is how we move forward. Right. Because if we're not building our own, if we're, if we are joining in with the systems that are currently here, there's going to be that resistance, but we got to keep moving forward at the same time. Critique, celebrate, critique. And on that note, mm. we would say keep driving it, keep making sure that the right conversations are had, no matter what you think diversity is going to be here, because we belong to have our music heard just as much. And I think what we do here at Rose of Pitch, we're changing minds one person at a time. So you get to hear our different perspective, our different uh, positionalities and our different mindsets on these things. So we just want to say thank you for listening to another episode and we shall see you next week. Bye bye.